listen, we've got we've got technology available beyond our wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think that Bill Gates is a supervillain. No. Elon Musk, Mm-mm. maybe. Maybe. Jury's out on him. Yeah. But Bill Gates seems like a pretty good guy. He puts out like a Christmas book reading list every year. Nobody who does that is trying to control your brain. That's what they want you to think. So this week, some of the big news that that really kind of came across the wire was really related to, John, your home state of Texas. The Texas GOP filed a lawsuit against Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin on the basis that their elections did not follow the constitutional requirements and therefore degraded states like Texas election results. Love that for us. Great, great representation. Now, your, your attorney general, right? He presented the case? I, I, yeah, I believe so. Um, this guy has been indicted for a while. Uh, apparently, he was indicted like five years ago and has just never stood trial. So that's a little fun fact about him. What does indicted mean again? Charges were brought up, but he's never actually been prosecuted like in a trial yet. So ah. there's, there's enough evidence to prosecute the person in court. Gotcha. Like, to take gotcha. it to a trial. Okay, cool. Thanks. My, my legal vocab isn't always uh, up to snuff with... Some of you guys' intelligence. I was pre-law in college. <laughs> nice. Decided not to be a lawyer for uh, when you study uh, mental health and you know life satisfaction. Lawyers always rank last. So I was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it's like the highest alcoholism rate of any profession. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna count how many cups of coffee Starbucks sold last year instead. Thank you. Because <laughs> that's what you do, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Sweet. It's a much more satisfying life. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. So Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is his name. Uh, Basically, the whole point of the lawsuit was to ask the the U.S. Supreme Court to block the battleground states from casting unlawful and constitutionally tainted votes in the Electoral College. He was specifically focusing on the battleground states of Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, the four key swing states that flipped the tide from red to blue that drove a a Joe Biden victory in the election. So in this, it looks like Paxton is claiming that the four battleground states broke the law by instituting pandemic-related changes to election policies, whether through executive fiat or friendly lawsuits, thereby weakening ballot integrity. Does that all sound accurate to you guys? Is there anything else that I was missing there? I think that's right. I mean, define right. It's The the information is correct. Okay. The way you have related the information is correct. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Feel free to jump in if there's any points that I'm missing. So Paxton claimed that these changes allowed for voter fraud to occur, a conclusion experts and election officials have rejected pretty much across the board. That's why a lot of these cases that Trump and his allies have brought to different courts at various levels have really gotten thrown out. Paxton said that the court should push back a December 14th deadline by which states must appoint their presidential electors. So a little bit of backstory on Monday, well, we're recording on Saturday the 12th, Monday the 14th, the Electoral College is supposed to show up and actually cast their electoral votes. And that is when, in all eyes of the law, Joe Biden is officially the president-elect to be inaugurated on January 20th. Right, and then we have to go fast forward to uh, January 6th, I believe, when Congress 
officially accepts the votes of the Electoral College. And that's kind of like the final, final, final certification that Joe Biden is elected president. How many times so, does he have to win for him to win? He's won so many times in like five weeks. I'm so tired of winning. <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's a good one. I think, <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, we want to back up to like, why, why was the suit by, by Texas thrown out uh, on what grounds and like, what, what were they claiming? And, and I, you described some very well, uh, but you know, the Supreme court, rejected this outright without even a sentence spoken and essentially what what was determined was that states that brought the lawsuit texas and i think 16 other states lacked standing which is another legal term so we're in law class now tonight and standing means that you have a right to bring this charge to the court right like you are impacted by what you are claiming occurred. So in this case, Texas is saying that these other states, these four swing states, had illegal uh, votes, right? Or or ways that could have caused fraud, like you described, Ryan. Um, and therefore, Texas was harmed or its electoral votes were harmed as a result. And that's very important to standing because standing to bring a case to court, you have to be personally harmed uh, by what you are saying occurred. I think that's very important in American law is that like the person who brings a case has to have been directly harmed by what they're saying. And so Texas tried to weasel that standing issue in and saying that their electoral votes were harmed because of a uh, possibility for election fraud in those other states. Supreme Court did not buy that argument. And separately, we want to make clear that this lawsuit never said that fraud actually occurred. They didn't bring evidence of fraud. They said that the changes were illegally made and that those changes could leave the room for fraud. But in, in almost no Trump lawsuit, and he's brought many, you know, dozens of lawsuits so far, in almost none of them does he actually allege fraud occurred, but rather that there was you know, opportunity for fraud. And I'd like to also add to that that uh, I had somebody argue with me that the lawsuit is alleging that the legislature alone has the right to change the election rules in a state, which is true according to the Constitution. But the kind of the issue here is that the executive and judicial branches within Texas extended the early voting period a week as well this election season with no feedback from the legislature. So under Texas's reasoning, New York, California, Massachusetts, and Maryland, and all the blue states could countersuit for what Texas did. Right. I mean, secretaries of state actually like often execute large discretion over how their elections are run, and those are not legislators. Those are you know members of the executive branch of the state. They determine how many ballot locations are open, when early voting hours are, how early it occurs, you know, how many days of early voting there is. Much of that is never voted on by the legislature of the state. Especially this election season, it's safe to say that in almost every state, somebody who was not on a state legislature made some sort of change to the election process. Some bigger than others. 
Uh, for sure, that's definitely a fact. I think it would be hard for us to argue that opening at 5 instead of 6 a.m. is comparable to as big a shift as sending out mail-in ballot applications to every citizen. But the point still stands that if you want to go by that very strict originalist interpretation of the Constitution, nearly every state, even the ones Trump won, also changed their election process in some facet without their legislature this year. Right. And now in in the Constitution, do you know where that is, John? Because I've I've seen Article 1, Section 4 talks of um, that state legislatures can change the times, places, and manners of elections for senators and representatives. So to quote the Constitution, it says the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. It doesn't say like, how the governor interacts with that or the secretary of state or local and county officers. you know right local county officers or you know the election for president of course these elections happen simultaneous on the same day but it doesn't really say the election of the president technically has to happen the same way i think that we could talk a lot about a very strict originalist interpretation of the constitution at some point and that could be its own episode so maybe we can add that to the content calendar but I think that a big flaw with this is that basically in every election for the past 30 years, at some point, somebody who was not elected by a legislature has made some sort of execution over the administration of, a, of a, an election. Because the Constitution is supposed to be the bare bones of our system. It's not supposed to be the very detailed execution of it. It's supposed to be directional. It's not supposed to be a how-to, which I think is a big flaw with that very strict originalist interpretation. So yes, legislatures in states have probably delegated a lot of the administration of their elections to secretary of states in past motions. So I suppose I understand where Texas is coming from, but it's so far from the real world application, right? This is an old document that is relatively brief. It's not supposed to be the definitive guide on every single bit of law that a state could agree upon. Right. And I think, you know, it, it to take it even beyond elections here, when we think about the treatment of the, you know, the interaction of the co-equal branches, even at the federal level, a lot of what is delegated via the constitution to the legislature or to the states is interacted with by the executive, even though it doesn't say that that can happen. You know, when Congress passes a law, a lot of the administration and execution of that law is left to the executive because that's what the executive branch exists for, right? Is the, the determination and execution of those laws, the interpretation of those laws and how they should be, you know, uh, implemented throughout the country. And so you could say the same could be true for election laws, the legislature says something, and then the Secretary of State says, well, you know, this is kind of within the wiggle room of the law, and so I have the power to administer this election, because the Secretary of State is the one who runs an election in the state, technically. And it's also important to note that states are the ones that control their election process, and that's for the local level, for the state level, and for the federal level. For better or worse, you know, there's no general overarching federal law that says, hey, states, you need to run our federal elections in this way. And I think that that's where a lot of these issues come in as well, because each state is different and each county is different. Heck, there in Michigan, one of the claims of voter fraud 
really stemmed from the Dominion voting system, one that conspiracy theorists have just latched onto like leeches. And it really comes out of Antrim County, which is in the, oh goodness, testing my Michigan geography here. It's mm -hmm. further east, I believe. I think it's east and north of Detroit, but I do not know that. I think you're right. But it's historically a very strong Republican county. It was a shock to everyone when it went blue on election night. And it turns out that it was a clerical error, pure on human error from uh, the county clerk. And conspiracy theorists have gone, well, oh, well, the hardware comes from China. Every computer has hardware that comes from China. Right. Like you're an idiot if you think that that's something special in any sort of technological device. But then like Algon and Kent County use the same system and they performed extensive audits. Actually, Bill Heisinger, our congressman, he goes on these like long Facebook live things and I watch them because I like to fact check his his um, his rants and then send him uh, emails. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so ashamed and proud of you at the same time yeah i basically I make just, fun of you but that's so great in in this process he was like yeah in algon and kent county they performed extensive audits as he's talking about the mass voter fraud everywhere else saying that they found no evidence of fraudulent ballots in those two counties that voted for biden and used the dominion voting system but my point here what got the county started here is the county right next door in the county that I live in, in Ottawa County, doesn't even use the Dominion voting system. And that's how much it varies from, I mean, even inside a specific state. It's very easy, I think, to debunk conspiracy theories once you actually get going. So an, an example of another one I've heard is I saw someone on Reddit arguing, well, Biden, how could Biden have won when he didn't flip a single county? And that's blatantly false. There, let's just even exclude the battleground states there where people are alleging fraud. Even in states that Trump won, there were a couple of pretty big flips. There are, I think, like three in Texas that went blue. There's about one or two in Ohio that flipped blue. There's one or two in North Carolina as well. And if you add up all the counties across the country, I think NPR said it was something like 50 out of the 70 that flipped went for Biden. But that's the sort of thing, like with conspiracy theories, they're, they always take these claims and put them out there without any evidence and they fall apart easily once you get going oh yeah yeah conspiracy theorists are not necessarily the uh the cream of the crop of the intelligence community yeah and you have many of these uh congressmen who even want this election saying that they fairly won their own election for joe biden's election which was the same voting you know same systems used his election was fraudulent, yet theirs was theirs was real. You can't have it both ways, you know. And it's very hard to have it both ways. Yeah, looking at you, Bill. And you know, even less nefariously, they'll say, you know, well, what about like all these, you know, these bellwether counties that all still went Trump? You know, they've predicted the election fair, you know, correctly for the last, you know, many decades or many elections. And I think the important thing to, to make here is, you know, and I haven't fact-checked all of these, you know, Bellwether County claims and whatnot about which tiny county in Ohio always calls the election correctly based on how they vote. But the fact is that with enough time, rare things happen all the time. There will be rare things. And like one of the most, I guess, revered predictors of who will win is Alan Lichtman's 13 Keys um, prediction that so he's a famous uh, you know professor who has these 13 keys of how is the economy doing? How is you know X, Y, and Z um, in the country? Is there social unrest or is there you know a first term president, whatever? And he's predicted the election correctly since 1984. 
and he called a Joe Biden win. <laughs> so it's like, well, that one wasn't surprising. I was just going to say that it's important to remember, too, all these little counties that are supposedly like the barometer for the election. Correlation does not imply causation. And we cannot stress that enough. Like, sure, they might have been right in the past five elections, but that could also just be what the political climate was at the time. And they just so happen to be with it. Right. And you have to, I mean, we have to remember how extremely diverse America is. Like, even though we we seem to be so polarized and binary right now, like a single county, if it's filled up with let's say all mining people the the facts change the people that are running change how they reach out to those specific voters you know can change so we can't like you're saying you cannot take the correlation of that single county and use it as a predictor for how the rest of the country or enough people in the right exact states will vote right mining communities used to vote pure democrat because they were the the blue collar working class and that's what union workers did, is they voted Democrat. Yeah, or our, our shift that we might talk about in the Southern strategy at some point. Like, Democrats used to run the South. That's not the case anymore. I keep having conversations with people where they'll say, well, there's so many irregularities that occur. But an irregularity is just that, an irregularity. Like, you don't convict somebody of murder for mm-hmm. an irregularity. And it's also worth pointing out that there, it, there would be a lot of irregularities for Biden to be predicted to win by an absolute blowout and Trump to win. Right. Like if we want to look at one of the most, you know, telling factors typically is presidential approval. And Donald Trump is the least popular president in U.S. history, or at least in modern history. Never cleared 50% approval. Right. And so but just based on that, you would expect, oh, well, he shouldn't win re-election. You would, you would imagine. I think a lot of it goes back to that we kind of insulate ourselves in these insular communities where everyone thinks like us. So in 2016, nobody understood that Hillary was as unpopular as she was with white rural people in the upper Midwest. And they probably should have. In 2020, I think a lot of people are just so used to drinking the Trump Kool-Aid and watching Fox News and hanging out with Republicans in rural red states that they don't understand how unpopular he is outside of those communities. Yeah, when you live in an echo chamber, let's take like a, a rural community in like northern Wisconsin. I guarantee there are not many Biden voters up there. But you you look around and you're like, okay, I believe that this and like I kind of disagree with some of these things that Trump does, and I kind of agree with some of these things that Trump does. And that person over there, like there's little minute differences there. And those are the conversations that are happening. But at the, at the end of the day, everybody still really supports Donald Trump and they can't imagine why anybody wouldn't because they have no differing opinion on that. I think that that's a point that as I kind of scroll through social media has kind of been coming around too. It's like there's a stark difference between rural America and urban America. And I think we've talked about it before on here. And I think that it's a it's a really complex and interesting subject and dichotomy to kind of study those two groups and how people respond, whether they live in urban or rural environments. Yeah, I, I think that we are so used to being in our bubbles that we can't comprehend things that go outside of the bubbles. I, I remember telling you guys about overhearing two girls talking about how they don't feel comfortable saying that they're Trump voters at work in a purple area in a red state. But like at the same, and they're also talking, you know, like 
because I'm in line at Starbucks. I hear them talk about you know, all this voter fraud up in the Midwest. And I'm just wondering, like, how, like you're so close. Just just take that to the next step. Like, you, you are admitting you don't feel comfortable saying you should support Trump in a purple area in mm-hmm. freaking Texas. Right. Connect the dots there. Yeah, like, like take that to its logical conclusion. Why should a state that Trump won by 10,000 votes in 2016 be an absolute cakewalk for him in 2020? A year that we all know has been a disaster. And a lot of people have been making the case that Trump has played no small part in that. So it's just not even consistent with its own logic. But, you know, it is like you're saying, you know, and it's it really is the 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 largest crisis and problem of our times is the insulation of our own bubbles and echo chambers. And, you know, I live in a, um, I guess you could say multi-political affiliation household right now, which I am appreciative to have, right? Because it, it keeps our minds open. It keeps a healthy debate going. But I observe Fox News, even though, you know, I deplore it but i observe fox news and tucker carlson almost daily tucker's my favorite yeah it's definitely you know blood pressure raising but you know if i can see from this outside view that if you watched that and only that all day every day or even just an hour every day or whatever that's your only news source it is extremely easy to see and believe that, oh, well, of course Trump won. Of course there's voter fraud because this is the news. This is what I hear. Joe Biden's crooked. The votes are suspicious. And they have on all these stories of alleged voter fraud. And, well, there's a hundred signed affidavits saying they observed something suspicious. If these people are lying, they go to jail. I was like, well, what is the... Again, like the Occam's razor here, what is the most likely explanation? Is it a huge nationwide plot to elect Joe Biden? Or is it that someone who's literally just a run-of-the-mill person from the street that runs this you know, county precinct for their election just doesn't understand how the process works? Because they've only done this once ever. And they thought, you know, that camera crews boxes were some sort of luggage to steal ballots, but it was just some news cameras crew. Like, that's the stories we're hearing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that you have to be cognizant of where you're getting your news from. And it's something that we talked about, like, in the first, like, couple episodes of the podcast, just saying, like, listen, you got to know what the bias is, and you got to know what's driving that bias. And if you've got one bias coming at you all the time, you got to differentiate that. You have to look into alternative sources, not necessarily going down the conspiracy route, um, but at least you know hearing things on both sides, having conversations with people outside of your own personal beliefs, and and really diving into that. Right, and and I do want to uh, just circle back a second to keep myself logically consistent because I said you know what is the most likely thing to occur. Yet five minutes ago, I said unlikely things happen all the time. The the distinction is that you have to have evidence for those unlikely things, right? You have to have actual reasonable evidence to prove that the unlikely thing occurred. So a key point that I've been asking people in my life that I would like everyone who listening who knows their family and friends who believe there's voter fraud, I would ask them, legitimately ask them, what in what scenario would you admit that this is just Trump trying to overturn a 
an election. And what I mean by that is I think the three of us here, if the FBI came out and convicted the Secretary of State of Georgia for colluding with China to flip the election to Biden, I, I would accept that. I, I'd have to see the evidence. I'd have to, you know, trust that these government agencies were doing their job correctly. But if, if someone got convicted for voter fraud and for colluding with the Biden campaign for it, I would accept that. And I'd have to own up and say, I was wrong. There was voter fraud. I was completely wrong. I think that's the difference. Like the people I know who are alleging that there's voter fraud, I keep thinking like, at what point are you willing to say you're wrong? Like everything is just this constant defense of ego and your own opinion. And at what point do you say, oh, Trump's had all these uh, cases thrown out by all of these judges he's appointed. Republicans in positions of authority in swing states are agreeing that there was no fraud. At what point do you say I was wrong? And that's the problem with identity politics, right? Is when you completely internalize your own opinions and the opinions of whatever, let's say it's political party that you align with. If you take that and say, that is me, that is part of who I am at my core. Well, now Mr. Ego, part of your brain comes in and says, great, anything that attacks that, I'm going to get defensive and I'm going to say, no, 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 you're wrong. I'm right because this is the core of my being. And if you take this away from me, I'm going to come at you hard and you cannot take this away from me because this is who I am. And I think that that's something that, I mean, we all get extra defensive over certain things versus others. But I don't think any of us hold those things at the very center core of our being. It's kind of like holding on to a rope. Like if we hold on loose enough, like we'll stay where we are. But also if it like really gets pulled, like we're just going to let it pass through our hands. It almost reminds me of the object lesson about critical thinking of you're out on a hike and you find some wildflowers and you think, well, maybe there's a gardener and you wait and you don't see a gardener. And you say, maybe the gardener's invisible. So you put a rope out to see if the gardener will trip. And then that doesn't happen. So then you think, maybe the gardener can fly. And you put a net up over the flowers. And nothing happens. And you just keep playing that off and off and off. And it just comes down to, at, at some point, you have to say, what's more likely? I'm wrong. And there's no evidence for this. But that's not what keeps happening. People keep alleging that the Supreme Court is corrupted by China or the Democrats. And that's why this suit was thrown out rather than maybe, maybe this didn't have a, a strong legal case to make. Well, it, it's changing your beliefs based on the facts or trying to change the facts based on your beliefs, right? Like you're just weaseling around whatever news starts to counteract with your narrative. I think that like going back to like some of these claims of voter fraud, it, they're so simple to debunk. Like this claim that Wisconsin had 3.1 million voters registered uh, versus 3.3 million turning out to vote, when in actuality it was 3.6 million people were registered, which was record turnout. But again, that's in line with the trend throughout the rest of the country. Like this year, I think, proves to a lot of people that sitting back is not a good policy during such a critical election. No, I'd like to circle back to the lawsuit that kind of started this whole conversation that the Texas GOP raised against Michigan and Wisconsin and Georgia and Pennsylvania, because I think it's important to note that 106 Republican congressmen signed an amicus brief to say like, yeah, Supreme Court, you need to listen to this. So an amicus brief comes from uh, the phrase amicus curiae, which is Latin for a friend of the court. 
so a true amicus curiae is without interest in the litigation matter. Uh, whereas like we talked about how Texas had to have like some kind of like legitimate interest and like personal interest in the case in order to stand on it. So an amicus curiae is a bystander whose mission is to aid the court to act only for the personal benefit of the court, not for their own personal benefit at all. So these Republican Congress people signed the brief backing Texas lawsuit to challenge the results, and they did this to demonstrate the support to the Supreme Court and add more weight to the case. So this is, I mean, it's three days before the Electoral College votes, and Ted Cruz was supposed to present the case to the Supreme Court and argue it to them, which I think would have been fun to watch, if anything. Yeah, yeah, that would have been sweet, just from like a pure fan of politics perspective, not for the actual what's going on. Man, just wild. And in any normal episode, we would probably conclude here, like with the fact that, you know what, Supreme Court said, nah, we throw it out. We're not dealing with it. It's BS. It's not grounded in fact. We're done. But as the late Billy Mays would say, wait, there's more. The Texas GOP chairman, Alan West, released this statement on Friday, December 11th. So I'm just going to read it here. So the Supreme Court, in tossing the Texas lawsuit that was joined by 17 states and 106 U.S. congressmen, have decreed that a state can take unconstitutional actions and violate its own election law, resulting in damaging effects on the other states that abide by the law, while the guilty state suffers no consequences. This decision establishes a precedent that says states can violate the U.S. Constitution and not be held accountable. The decision will have far-reaching ramifications for the future of our constitutional republic. Perhaps law-abiding states should bond together and form a union of states that will abide by the Constitution. The Texas GOP will always stand for the Constitution and for the rule of law, even while others don't. So in good old Texas fashion, they got mad and said, you know what, why don't we just make our own country? I, I would like to tell Alan West that when he says create a union of states that it's pronounced confederation of states <laughs> that's really what this is and i'm sure the use of the word union there was intentional to dissuade that is this even is this going to happen is this allowed i think that even within you got to remember like 42 percent of texas voted for biden this year the majority of the population of texas lives in urban and suburban areas like austin san antonio houston dallas like I'm sure there are crazies who would love this to happen. It's not happening in the near future. Not unless something changes. That's my take. Is it even legal for Texas to secede? Or wasn't there a, a Supreme Court ruling like in 1860s or 70s or something? Yep. Texas versus White in 1869 established that states cannot secede from the U.S., but that also was kind of settled outside of the courts during the Civil War. Um, I don't think that the idea of secession has many legs after we've seen the consequences in the 1860s but it's absolutely nuts for a party that claims to love this country they sure get really really mad when the country doesn't go their way it's kind of funny for the folks that typically are the ones to say if you don't like it then leave i think one of the main things that i've been trying to get across to conservatives and that for everyone listening i'd like you to just kind of a, approach your conservative friends and family with, is that this is a bad precedent. Let's say that Texas did have somehow have standing in this case. Do you want a world where California gets to sue Texas for how gerrymandered our congressional districts are? There's a district that basically like cuts across San Antonio, goes straight northeast by like 70 miles, and then loops around Austin. It's just 
so ridiculously gerrymandered. That's how poorly drawn the districts are in this state. Do you want a world where California gets to sue about that? Do you want a world where Virginia and D.C. and New Jersey start suing other states for their carbon emissions because they're getting impacted by rising sea levels? Like The long-term consequences of this suit would have been extremely detrimental to conservatism. Like, this is not small government. It's very true. It's a very good cerebral point that's much higher level than just election talk. Right, and, and it's not an institutional conservatism. Like, there are people I know, like, I disagree with my dad a lot. I would say that, for the most part, he's an institutional conservative. He wants the institutions of this country to be preserved. I get that. That's kind of the heart of conservatism for a lot of people. And I disagree on some policy, but I respect that. But this isn't that. That This is alleging that you know a local body doesn't have the right to administer the elections in the way it wants. And obviously, the Supreme Court has some ability to say, like, you know, obviously, black people have the right, the right to vote. Obviously, poll taxes are going to be illegal. Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't completely deregulate elections, but I think expanding mail-in balloting does not seem like a cause to invalidate the entirety of an election without a clear cause of voter fraud. It's extremely far-reaching. It's not local government or small government in any way, shape, or form. I kind of feel like that's a good point to end on. Kind of wraps it up. Well, guys, I think uh, it was a great conversation, great discussion. For those of you listening, if you haven't... Sorry. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, it's it's 10 o'clock here. Oh, yeah. Uh, And for those in, uh, you know, the UK, and I think we had... Oh, we had a listener in a a super far away land. Uh, we had the United Kingdom. Let's just do some listener shout outs here. Let me pull up my anchor app. Let's see. Czech Republic, Germany, Canada, UK, all with less than 1% of our listener base. So for those of you out there, our international fans, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please uh, feel free to reach out. Follow us on Instagram which is at Misinformation Podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Podcasts. If there's one that you use that we're not on, shoot us a DM on Instagram. We'll get it fixed. We'll get us up there and uh, we'll get it taken care of. Till next time, talk to you later.